Welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. This is part three of our series going through the book of Jonah. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the message. Um, we're, in, we're in the book of Jonah, and last week, Jonah was thrown overboard off the ship. Some of you guys remember this? Jonah thrown overboard. You may have been ha- wondering, like, what happened to Jonah? Jonah chapter 1, verse 17 says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We finished Jonah chapter 1. Come on, somebody. You ready for chapter 2? Verse 1 says, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. This is a prayer. So you guys can, you can pray this along with Jonah if you want. I'm going to read it. It's, it's about nine verses. It says, Jonah said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. I want you to understand something. The most powerful prayers that we pray are not from the mountaintop but from the valley. Sometimes you're in a fish. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the sea, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Favorite part of the prayer right here. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain I sank down, and the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, you brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayers rose to you, to your holy temple. To those who cling to worthless idols, they turn away from God's love for them. But I will shout of the grateful praise, with shouts of grateful praise. I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. And I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And at this, the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. I want to call our message today, in the belly of a fish. In the belly of a fish. Come on, can we put our hands together? You guys can take a seat this morning. So glad that you could be here today. Hey, as, uh, as we get the lights a little bit on in the back, if possible, can we, just, uh, can we just say good morning to the person next to you? Say hello. Say so glad that you could be here today. All right, amazing. Hey, we are so glad that each and every one of you guys could be here today. Uh, If you're new or visiting, my name is Harrison, and man, I'm just honored that you took some time to be with us. We are in a series right now going through an Old Testament book, the book of Jonah, and if you have not been with us, um, I'll let you guys know. We are going to read every single verse in this book, and guess what? Right there, We're halfway through the book of Jonah. Come on, somebody. And so you guys are just crushing scripture. But I want to give us a little um, just kind of recap reminder as we get going today for those of you guys who have not been with us. Uh, Everything that has been said is online. So if you want to catch up, you can go watch it. YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you all get your stuff from, catch up. But story of Jonah. God calls Jonah to go to a place called Nineveh. He says, go and preach a message of repentance. This was week one. Jonah goes the opposite way to Tarsish, and we say when you go the opposite way of God, you will always get stuck in some ish. You guys remember that? Part one, stuck in ish. So go check that out if you missed it. Uh, Part two, last week, we kind of learned really like why did Jonah run away? And what we found out was that he didn't really want the Ninevites to... uh, experience the grace and the mercy of God. And so last week was called, Who Are You? And we looked at identity. And what happens when God's calling comes in conflict with those primary identities 
that we often have in our lives. And so, um, you guys remember this all? Amazing. So again, if you missed it, go catch up. So today, part three, um, I want to just kind of bring us into where I want to go today. So one of the things that we have said, if you guys have looked at the fantasy graphic, um, the actual message, uh, sermon message, is called the gospel in Jonah. The gospel in Jonah. These things are really loud behind me. Can you, are they distracting for you guys? You guys are good? You guys like our new lights back here? Super loud. Um, it's just me. It's funny because me and Amy did a whole run through, and she's like, is it going to be distracting for you? And I'm like, no. But it's in my ear now. So anyways, I'll continue to preach. As long as you guys are good, I'm fine. So continuing, gospel in Jonah. Why did I call it the gospel in Jonah? So I'm going to give you guys a quick Bible lesson if you're, if you're new to the Bible. The Bible is split up into two testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in the New Testament is when Jesus shows up on the scene. So if you're reading your Bible and you're like, I want to get to Jesus, he doesn't actually show up in the physical until the book of Matthew. And in the Gospels of the New Testament, uh, gospel means good news, you hear the story of Jesus. And I believe that through the story of Jesus, you see most clearly the love of God, the love of the Father who sent his son to die for us, who took the punishment that you and I deserve Jesus took it so that we could live forever eternal. Now, one of the things that a lot of people think is like, well, if the story of Jesus is in the New Testament, like what is the use of the Old Testament? Do I really even need the Old Testament? But one of the things I've said in this series is that when we know the story of Jesus, we can look at the Old Testament through what we're calling cross-vision meaning I can look at the stories in the Old Testament through the lens of what Jesus did on the cross, and I can actually find these messages of the cross, grace, mercy, judgment, all throughout the Old Testament. And so I kind of want to show you guys clearly today that I think that the theme of the cross is evident before the cross ever existed. That's kind of what I want to do today. Are you guys good with that? And so... To do this, I want to ask and more so answer a question that perhaps you guys have asked in your life before. Now, if you come from a church background, you probably phrase it one way. Um, maybe you have non-Christian friends and they phrase it another way. But at some point or another, someone's probably said, how do I get to heaven? Anyone ever asked that before? Right? More Christian language, like, how do I get saved? Like, how do I get to heaven? How do I get saved? Anyone in this room ever wondered or thought that or someone's asked you that before in your life? Few people, amazing. And so I believe that you can give an answer to that question from the book of Jonah, chapter 2. And so that's what I want to do today. I want to just go through this, and my goal today is pretty simple. I want someone to get saved. Anyone with me today? I, I want someone in this room to get saved today. You're like, Harrison, am I drowning? Yep. I want someone in this room to experience life today. And I think that it can be found in the words of Jonah chapter 2, which I believe to be the word of God. So um, a little context again as we get into this. Jonah's running from God, opposite direction, right? And there's a giant storm because he was on a boat, and Jonah says to the sailors, throw me overboard. And they throw him overboard, and the storm stops. Uh, the sailors rejoice, and, but we're kind of like, what happened to Jonah? This is what happens. Again, Jonah 1, verse 17, it says, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of a fish three days and three nights. Now, we need to pause here because a uh, couple of things. Number one, uh, if you've heard this story uh, in like Sunday school or growing up or whatever, a lot of times like you picture it as a whale. Now, it could be a whale, but specifically in like the, the Hebrew in the Old Testament, it just says fish, like a giant fish. And uh, I know for a lot of us, because where I'm going today, this part of the scripture actually isn't that important. 
But I know for some of us today, you're kind of stuck because you're like, hold on one second, sir. Are you trying to tell me that a giant fish swallowed a man and he was able to live in said fish for three days and three nights? Well, yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you because that's what the Bible says. And if the Bible says it, I believe it. Come on, somebody. But um, maybe you're not there yet. So I want us to just kind of, I, I want to just talk about this for a second because I don't want anyone to miss what I really want to say today, thinking to yourself, could you really survive in a fish? Here's the answer. Like in, in normal circumstances, if, if you, you know, went overboard and a giant fish or perhaps a whale swallowed you, would you live? Probably not. Just, I'm just being, I'm being real with you. You're probably not going to live. And so right away, you need to understand that something miraculous has happened. This, this is a miracle, right? Bible talks, this is, a, this is not a normal circumstance. And I know for a lot of us, especially like, you know, with our Western, modern mind, it can be really hard to believe in the miraculous. But one thing I want to say is that you and I believe in the miraculous every single day as long as we have evidence of things that are miraculous. The issue is when we have evidence that miraculous things occur, they no longer become miraculous. You guys following? And so I, I was just thinking this week because there's something happening like in my family specific and it kind of seems like it's been happening for the last four years straight. Uh, but like my wife has a baby inside of her stomach. And most of y'all Unless, like, there's a, maybe there's a crazy story here that has never been recorded in history. Um, all y'all came from inside of a womb. Is that, am I teaching anyone today? Um, <laughs> and the whole child rearing experience, I think, is quite miraculous. I think it is, is miraculous that something, like, literally out of, like, nothing... Is, 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 is being formed and is growing inside of my wife. It's crazy. There's nothing crazier than when I feel like a full foot in my, my, my wife's stomach, and she's like, feel it. I'm like, no, it's disgusting. It's like, it's like an alien thing happening. But what I want to suggest is that there is no greater proof, I believe, for miracles than the very fact that all of us came from inside of someone's stomach. It's kind of wild. And I, I want you to think for a second. Imagine you were dropped in this planet and you knew nothing of anything. And you just saw everyone in this, in this crowd right here. And again, you don't know anything. And I were to tell you, all of these people came from inside of a woman. I think that you would be shocked. You'd say, how? I'd say, you don't want to know. But the fact of the matter is, because it happens all the time, it kind of, for many of us, it loses that miracle kind of aurora, if you want to call it that. And so what I want to suggest is this. Again, could Jonah survive in a fish naturally? Nope. But I want you to understand something. The Bible says, if you want to put up verse 1 again, it says, the Lord provided a huge fish. Another translation, I like it better. It says, the Lord prepared a huge fish. I want you to, this, this wasn't an accident. This wasn't a mistake. The Lord sent this. The Lord made this happen. And so, as I was thinking about us being inside of our mother's wombs and Jonah himself being stuck in a fish, I happen to believe that humans Coming from literally nothing full formed inside of our mother's wombs is a greater miracle because that is life being formed. In the fish, all God had to do was sustain. Sustaining is easier than forming. So did this happen? I think it did. Is it a miracle? Yes. But you and I experience miracles all the time. You are a miracle. Do you guys see what I'm saying? So I don't want anyone stuck up like, I don't believe in no fish. Get ready to experience the word of God because we serve the God of the miraculous. Anyways, that was kind of a side tangent because I don't want anyone stuck on the fish today. Here's the real question I want to ask. Because 
in this series, we're kind of diving into three major themes, grace, mercy, judgment. So here's the question I want to ask. You guys, some of you guys, you know, you're astute biblical students. Was this fish that God prepared, that God sent, was this fish the grace and the mercy of God, or was this fish the judgment of God? What do you guys think? You can just shout. Shout the first thing that comes to your head. Amazing. So you guys, you know, all like that. I asked my wife the same question. You know, she's very blessed and beautiful and childlike faith. And she said, well, of course, you know, God saved Jonah with the beautiful whale, much like you guys said. It's grace, right? It's, it's grace. Uh, I happen to believe that this fish that God sent is both grace and mercy, but it's also judgment. And I know this can be hard for us, but I believe it to be true. I think that sometimes God's grace and his judgment can be one and the same. It's weird, but God has this way of taking grace, which we think is beautiful, judgment, which we kind of view as ugly, and using them as the exact same thing. Let me explain why it's both grace, mercy, and judgment. Jonah, in this story, he disobeyed God. And whether you know this or not, if there is a God who is holy, just, reigns above it all, if we disobey him, that God has the right to do whatever he wants, however he sees fit. And so Jonah deliberately disobeys God. And so God has the opportunity, if he wants, to wipe Jonah off the face of the earth. And I know that's hard for us to, to swallow. Like, why does God have the right? Because understand this, everything that God ever calls us to do is always good. God never calls us to do that which is not good. And so every single time we reject God, we are inevitably rejecting that which is good, even if I don't immediately understand how it's good. And so God by nature is good. And so if I reject him, what that means is the path that I'm taking is not actually good, meaning I'm worthy of judgment. And so Jonah, if God wanted, could have been wiped off the face of the earth. However, why I believe this fish is grace and mercy. Mercy is to withhold judgment. Grace is to get what you don't deserve. It's because Jonah was worthy of death, but God gives him life. But here's why I also think it's judgment. Because if God wanted to, there was a whole bunch of different ways that he could have got Jonah out of the water. Could have sent an angel that didn't have slimy guts probably stunk, but there's a level of judgment that Jonah experiences. And what I want to hone in on today is why I believe that in our lives, God renders judgment. Now, for Jonah, and just if, if the stank and the gloom wasn't enough of why I think this is judgment, uh, more than likely, I can imagine it was pitch black inside of this fish. And so one of the worst punishments that you can give someone is what is called solitary confinement. And so Jonah is literally in solitary confinement in the pitch black for three days and for three nights. Why? Because he's experiencing the judgment of God while at the same time also experiencing the grace and the mercy of God. Are you guys following? And so what I want to show us is why I think that God uses judgment. And I'm going to show us the roadmap to that big question, how do I get saved. So Jonah chapter two, verse one, it says from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help and you listened to my cry. And so question, let's, let's talk about salvation. How do I, how do I get saved? How do I, how do I get to heaven? Here's the roadmap. Number one, Salvation begins with surrender. Salvation begins with surrender. Now, one of the things that you've probably heard before is this. Um, 
message of the gospel, message of grace, there's nothing that you can do to be saved. You guys have heard this? Nothing that you can do to be saved. Now, I believe that to be true. There's nothing you can do to be saved, but there is something you have to do. Sounds kind of weird, but follow with me. So, I talked about the cross. On the cross, Jesus, he did the saving work. Understand this, God is good, God is holy, God is just. You are none of those things. And so because we are none of those things, we deserve judgment. And because God is holy, because God is just, he can't just turn a blind eye because that wouldn't be just. And so instead of giving us the punishment that we deserve, the Bible says that God sent his only son, Jesus, who is God, that bore the weight of our sin, that bore the shame, the penalty that you and I deserve, Jesus wore it on the cross. And so everything that you needed to do to be saved, <clears throat> Jesus did it. Are you guys following? That's, that's what it means when I say the saving work of the cross. It's, it's done. It's completed. There's nothing that you can do to be saved. However, <clears throat> I think it would be disingenuous for me to just stop right there and say, nothing you have to do. No, like the saving work has been done. But there is something you have to do. But it's super simple. All you have to do is accept the gift. That's it. I want you to picture it like this. The God of the universe is reaching out his hand to you and saying, hey, guess what, son? Guess what, daughter? You can come home today. All you have to do is grab my hand. That's it. That's all we have to do. So why isn't everyone saved? If you didn't know this, I'm going to let you know what the Bible says, what I believe. Not everyone will be saved. But it's not because they aren't saved. It's because for a lot of people, as the hand goes out, our hands retract back. All God asks is for an open hand, and for a lot of us, we close it. And I want you to understand, surrender is the beginning of salvation. But I can't surrender when my hands are closed. And I believe that there are a number of reasons that people won't open up their hands and allow God to pull them up. But I believe two in particular that I want to talk about. Two reasons people don't open their hands. Number one, I think, is this. I don't need to be saved. I think in, in the West, where we live, this is, this is a huge one. I don't need to be saved. You want to know why? Because I'm a pretty good person. Because the connotation that I need to be saved means that I'm drowning. And I don't want to be drowning because I'm a pretty good person. Don't you see all the things that I do? Don't you see what I post? Don't you see how I volunteer? The issue is, and, and I think how we get to this place, is that we ignore the fact that there is a holy, perfect, and good God. And this God, listen to this, he actually cares about how we live our lives. And so he is the standard. And I think the easiest way that most of us just ignore the standard who is God is we find someone else to compare ourselves to. Because if I can, if I, like, I, I don't want to look at God, right? And that's why a lot of us, we come into church head down, like, I don't want, how do you want to look? I don't want to look at the, what do you mean goodness? I'm going to look down. Because the moment we look up, and the moment you experience God, and if you read the Bible, every time someone experiences God, they're like, whoa. Like, get away from me. I'm unclean. I'm not, I'm not holy like you. And so what we do is that instead of looking up to a holy God, we try to find people that we perceive are below us. Because if someone is below me, I can always find someone that I think I look good in comparison to. And so what we do is we find people that we think we're better than. We find politicians. Daniel Smith of the UCP. Rachel Notley of the NDP. You guys have seen the ads for the last month? And whatever side of the spectrum you fall on, 
we begin to look at these people as kind of like, that's a bad person. I think I'm, I'm better than them. And so instead of God being the standard for goodness, we look to politicians. We, we, and it's funny, how many, how many guys like documentaries on Netflix? Anyone ever get caught in those? I was realizing like the majority of documentaries that you and I watch, like there's usually like a really bad person in that documentary who's done something wild that like we can't even believe a human being would do that. And I think one of the reasons that we kind of get addicted to these things is because it feels good when I can find someone I know that I'm better than. Like, I've been through some things, but I've never tortured animals, right? Like, just whatever weird stuff you guys are watching on Netflix. But the standard in which God gives us is never anyone else. It is always him. But what happens is we live in this culture of the scapegoats. We're, we're, we're so obsessed. We're just waiting. When is the next pastor going to fall? When is the next politician going to fall? When's the next police officer going to do something worthy of my wrath? Because when I see these people, then I know I'm a pretty good person. It's funny. I, I was thinking like 10, 15 years ago, the mirror used to be a symbol of vanity. You guys remember this? Like, you got to stop looking in the mirror. Stop looking at yourself. I feel like today we've kind of replaced the mirror with our screens. And we've kind of gotten rid of the mirror altogether. And, of course, vanity is not a good thing, but I almost think we live in a culture now where we never look in the mirror. And we never want to see who I really am. Instead, we look at our phones, at people, and again, we can begin to believe, I'm just a pretty good person. I don't need to be saved. Everyone following? That's number one. Why don't we open our hands? I don't need to be saved. I don't need a savior. Number two is this. I'm not worth saving. A lot of us live in this way. It says, I'm, just, I'm not worth saving. And I think the saddest part about this one is that many of these people exist within the walls of church. They're, they're drawn to this place. They're, they're drawn to the idea of a savior. But there's, there's things in their life that they've experienced, things, things that they have done, maybe even things that have been done to them. And, and you feel and we feel like, you know what? I'm just not worth saving. There's, there's no way a God could love me. There's no way this message of the cross is just, just reach up. What, what, I've done too much. And one of the reasons these people exist within church is because they're drawn to this idea of religiosity. And what I think religiosity is, it's a heart posture that says, do more, be better. And a lot of times the people that feel worse about themselves or the worst about themselves are the ones that are drawn so much to acts of charity. Because if I, can just, if I can just serve a little bit more, then God will forget about all that I've done. If I can just, if I can just, just give a little bit more, then God will accept me. And, and it's funny because a lot of times people with religious hearts, we get down on them. Like, oh, I can't stand that person. They're so religious. But a lot of times the religious people are the most broken people. Because deep down inside, something says, I'm just not worth saving. So I just got to act better. You need to act better because we're not worth it. I'll never forget my wife, Christy, and I, we were explaining and doing a Bible study with, with, this, with this lady and just explaining the gospel. And at the end, she just kept saying over and over again, I don't accept what you're saying. It can't be that easy. That's it. She said, it can't be that easy. This is too easy. And for a lot of us, that's our heart posture. It says, it can't be that easy. So we reject it. And I was thinking this week, for, for both of these postures, and maybe you're in this posture today, whether we know it or not, it's this, it's this defensive posture. Or it's this, this posture with our arms flared wide. And what we're doing is that we're rejecting the lifeguard that seeks to save us. If you know anything about lifeguards and how they work, 
the best way in which they can save you if you're drowning is to simply give up. Is just to, just to let go and say, I'm not going to fight any longer. And I wonder today if there are people in this place and you just feel like I'm not worth saving. Maybe there's someone in this place, you're Gen Z, I'm a pretty good person. And I believe that there are people in church that will not be saved. And it's not because God didn't save you. It's because we won't reach out our hands and admit that we need a Savior. And there are people that get stuck on these paths for so long. Now, the question you're asking is, like, well, will, will God really just let, like, if the hand is there, will God really just let them go down to their doom and to their destruction? The answer is yes and no. It's yes in this. Ultimately, God will never impose his will on anyone. If you want to understand the ultimate heart of God, it it's kind of sounds weird, but his ultimate heart is for you to do that which you want. Ultimately, like, does he want you to, to worship him? Is everything he have for you good? Yes. Does, 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 I mean, does, is his will that we accept him? Yes. But I think his heart is like, you do what you want, for better or for worse. So, so yes, God will let us go down these paths with our hands closed, but I do believe that there is one thing that God does for closed hands and for closed hearts. He renders judgment. And God's judgment, I believe, is there to lead us, not to death, but to hands that are open. Let me explain this. So Jonah chapter two, verse three. Jonah, again, he's praying. He says, God, you hurled me into the depths into the very heart of the sea, and the currents swirled about me. All of your waves and breakers swept over me. I said I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounds me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the root of the mountain I sank down. To the earth beneath you barred me forever. Now, what I think is funny is that Jonah 2, verse 3. Can you, can you go back for one second to the slide? He says, you hurled me into the sea. Now God, granted, he did send the storm, did send the fish. But why was Jonah there in the first place? It's because he was running in the opposite direction of God. You guys ever been there? You're stuck in some ish. And it's like, God, you sent me here. And I think God's like, no, you sent yourself here but I have done some things. And so what I want to do is, because I think even in this passage here, I think that we see two types of judgment. And I want to explain three types of judgment this morning. Um, two very specifically that I say, most of the time, God's heart in these judgments is that our, we would turn to repentance. Now, if you're an astute Bible student, there are times when you just get judged. Come on, somebody. But pray to the Lord, you never experience that. Most of the time, when you experience judgment, it is active judgment from God or it is passive judgment from God. However, in both, you can go back a slide. I'm not quite there yet. In both, um, it is God leading your heart to repentance. So three types of judgment, and I'm gonna explain them all and show them how they work in our lives. Number one, active judgment. Number two, passive judgment. Number three, final judgment. Those are the three judgments that we're gonna look at. So if you're taking notes, Write these down. So here's active judgment. Now we got it. Active judgment is simply this, God actively intervening in our lives. And I happen to believe, again, this is going to sound weird, I think you want active judgment in your life more than you want passive judgment. And I'll explain it. Because I believe God's heart in active judgment, the majority of the time, is that our hearts would change. In the story of Jonah, we have active judgment. We have a storm and we have a fish. And it is inside the belly of this fish that Jonah's heart begins to change. And so in our lives, when I am living the opposite way of that in which God has intended me to live, what you want is active judgment. 
You want God to actively do something in your life in order to get your attention. That's what you want. Now, what I believe the majority of us get is not the active judgment of God, but the passive judgment of God. And I'll explain it like this. This is Romans chapter 1, verse 18. It says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godless and all the wicked, pe- wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So, this gets our attention. Wrath of God is being revealed, right? Like, okay, well, what does it look like? Verse 24, it says, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual morality, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is to forever be praised. Amen. So what is the passive judgment of God? Simply this, the passive judgment of God is God handing you over to your desires. Here's the reason why you don't want this. I would rather deal with the consequences that God has for me knowing that he wants what is good rather than the consequences of my own action, who God is not responsible for. The worst type of judgment you will experience is God saying, you know what? Do whatever you want. There's this thing for a lot of people that leave church. And when they leave, they begin to do a whole bunch of stuff that they would not do when they're in church. And one of the things that they say is like, you know what? Church is so bad because I used to feel guilty when I did these things when I was in church. Now I don't feel guilty anymore. (laughs) That person doesn't know this, but they're on a one-way ticket to experiencing the passive judgment of God. He doesn't have to do a thing. Because as I said, everything that God has created is good. Every boundary that God has for us is good. He is only good, amen? And so every time we go on a deviant or opposite path, I can guarantee you, even if you don't see it at the beginning because it looks like rainbows and butterflies, there's a dark forest at the end of it. And you will experience the passive judgment of God, which is simply the result of doing that which I want. In Romans chapter 1, it talks about sexuality. Listen, one of the main ways to experience great pain is to go off the path in which God has for us, sexually speaking. You see, for a lot of us, when we view this idea that God cares about our sexuality, we can view it in a way like, why does he want to repress? Why does he want to to, to not let me do what my heart desires? What God is saying is, no, 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 I created you. I know what you're desiring. It's just not that that's going to bring you life. And I know, and like I I talked about the, the, the current sexual revolution you know, as opposed to like the the one in the 60s and the 70s. Um, Whether you know this or not, I think that a lot of young people today, we live in the pain of the last sexual revolution that said, sleep with whoever you want. Doesn't really matter. You want to know what happened in that generation? Divorce rate went through the roof. And then we, we bear the consequences. But it's like, you know what? We know best. And, and it's going to be the same today. There's going to be a generation of people that you're like, how come I can't get into serious relationships? I've had like 12 girlfriends, but I just can't seem to commit. I just can't seem to feel the way I want to feel. What I want to suggest is perhaps you've been going on a path that God never intended you to go on. And he only wants what's best. You see, what is sin? Sin is always going the opposite direction of God. Who is good? When I reject God, write it like this. Write it like this. Come on, come on. Write this down. Write this. You need this. Like next Saturday night when the, when the devil's tempting, write this down. When I reject God, he doesn't need to punish me. My choices will do that for me. Did you guys hear that? I'm, I'm going to say it again. When I reject God, he doesn't need to punish me. My choices will do that for me. Listen, 
God hates sin. You guys might have heard this. And I, I believe there are specific like, like acts that God does hate. But more than anything, God hates not sin, but the result of sin. That is what God hates. God is pro-life. Sin takes life away. And so every time I am doing something that takes my life away, God hates it. Listen, like the Bible talks about gluttony being a sin. You know what gluttony is, anyone? I'll tell you what God doesn't hate, chocolate cake. He doesn't got time to hate chocolate cake. Right? What God hates is when people die young. They have families. They have so much life ahead of them. And so everything that I'm saying, especially when it comes to this judgment, active or passive, I believe that especially, especially passive judgment, which is, you know, just more so ourselves, God does want to use it for something. No tear, no amount of pain needs to be for naught. There's a pastor, Rick Warren, and, and he said it like this one time. I thought it was so good. He said, in our lives, like the, the seed that's inside of us, it needs to grow. But seeds can't grow with hard soil. And the reason the, the, the soil of our life is hard can be circumstance, it can be choice, whatever it may be. But, but Pastor Rick Warren said it like this. I thought it was so good. He said, so what does God do with hard soil? He sends rain. He sends storms. And so sometimes the storms that God actively gives us, which I'm saying are better than the passive ones, God wants to use it in order that our hearts would be turned. And so I know it sounds weird, but sometimes what you need to experience is the judgment of God. Listen, you want to experience active, you want to experience passive, you don't want to experience the final judgment. This is number three. Final judgment is this. End of time, our final verdict. In the ones here on earth, the judgment we have, we have the chance to turn. Final judgment, it's done. You've made your choice. And you need to understand something. At the final judgment, God is not bringing out your rap sheet and saying, well, this person swore back in 2024, so sorry. It's a super simple process. Is this person in Christ or are they not? And if that person is in Christ, the final judgment is super simple. It's well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into rest. That's it. Or it's, you didn't want that hand. And I happen to believe, and, and you can read C.S. Lewis. He says some great stuff on this. But at the end, because you can think, would God really reject someone? Like at the very end, like, C.S. Lewis argues, like, even at the end, they won't accept it. Even all the way to death, to hell. It's like, no, I don't want it. I'm not going to surrender. So the question is this. How do I surrender? Harrison, I need to open my hands. How do I do it? Number one, Jonah 2, verse 7, he says, when my life was ebbing away, when it was, when it was fading away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Salvation begins with surrender. Surrender is so simple. Number one, call to the Lord. How do I surrender? Call to the Lord. Jonah says, when I needed you, I called. That's it. I want, I want to say to someone today that you feel like you're in the valley right now. There's only one thing you need to do in the valley. It's simply call to the Lord. To reach out. And this may sound weird, but grace is never found on the mountaintop. It's always found in the valley. And so even if your life doesn't feel how you want it to feel right now, grace is still available. Call to the Lord. So how do I surrender? Number one, call to the Lord. Number two, Jonah 2 verse 8, he says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. So number one, call to the Lord. Number two is this, let go. You see, some of us are close-handed but some of us are reaching out to something else. God's calling you, but your hands are somewhere else. This, this is last week's message, so, 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 so go listen to it. But there's an identity thing you're holding on to. 
right? It's, it's, it's a job, it's a title, it's a reputation, it's gender, it's sexuality. There's something that we are holding on to that we don't want to let go of because we believe if we let go of this thing, I'll lose everything. But what I want to suggest is that you're going to lose something in your life, but you're going to find that what you're looking for is, that, is the actual life the life that God has for you. So how do I surrender? Call to the Lord, let go. Philippians chapter three, Paul says it like this. He says, brethren, I went King James for this one. Come on, somebody. I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forget that which is behind me. I love this. I'm reaching forth to those things which are better. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Come on, how do I surrender? I simply let go. Come on, you know what it is. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. You know what you need to let go of. Surrender, let go, leave it behind. And you're on the road to salvation, and there's one thing left you have to do. Jonah 2, verse 9, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I will make good. I love this. You, you want to know the sacrifice you need to give to Jesus? Praise. Hold on, hold on one sec. Because some of us are like, there's nothing I can give to God. Yes, there is. Praise. Adoration. For the God that's changed everything. That's why, listen, man, when, when I say that, let's give him a shout of praise. I'm not like, I'm saying like literally like a shout of praise. Like if God has ever been good to you. Like, like come on, somebody. Like shout. There we go. He says, then I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. I surrender. Then I say, salvation comes from the Lord. Look at this. Verse 10. At that, the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. When did God release Jonah? Was it when he was good enough? Was it when he was perfect? And we're going to see next week, far from perfect. Actually, two weeks we'll see more. Unless I have a kid. Come on, somebody. <laughs> the Lord releases him when Jonah realizes the gospel message that salvation comes from the Lord. He confesses it with his mouth. God says to the fish, let him out, boy. <laughs> because he understands the simple gospel that salvation belongs to him. In this moment, Jonah understands grace. I get that which I don't deserve. Why? Because the God of heaven says so. You see, I was thinking this week, there's two things when it comes to grace. There's grace as a concept, and then there's grace as an experience. Grace as a concept sounds nice, sounds good, doesn't change anything. I, I can explain the gospel till I'm blue in the face, but the heart is not changed by me talking about the gospel. It's when we experience it. It's when we understand, I've been on the run my entire life. I've done nothing good, nothing right, yet God still chooses me. It's when I realize that all my life, he has been faithful. It's when I, when I think about that, that, that line in the song that says, I don't know where I would be if not for you. Because when I experience grace, everything changes. No one has to tell me how to respond. My heart does that for me. I went, uh, when we were in Las Vegas a couple weeks ago, uh, we went to the Hoover Dam. You guys ever seen that before? And uh, Hoover Dam is like one of the largest dams, I think, in America, maybe the world. Who knows? It's gigantic. It's massive. Now, if you've seen the Transformers, the first one, the OG movie, Shia LaBeouf. You guys remember that one? The Hoover Dam is in that movie. And in the movie, like as Optimus Prime is scaling it, it looks pretty big. But when you go there and you experience it and you look over the edge and you feel like you're going to pee your pants, 
that's when something inside of you begins to shift. And I think it's the same thing with grace. It's one thing to see it. It's one thing to hear about it. It's a whole other thing to experience it. And I believe today in this moment, God is extending his hand to someone today. He's saying, son, he's saying, daughter. He's saying, I know that you don't think there's anything good in you. And I kind of agree. But here's my hand. Just come home. That's grace. That's it. It's not often found in the mountaintop, but it's found in the belly of a fish. When we're going through things, when we feel heartbreak, when we feel broken, that's when we experience it. So I want to make an appeal. Can we stand for a second, church? Come on, I want, I want to speak to someone. You know what I'm talking about. You're in the belly of a fish. It's darkness. It's brokenness. It's hurt. It's confusion. but I believe that the Father's arm is reached out open wide. If that's you right now, could, could everyone just, just bow your heads, close your eyes? This, this is a very specific appeal, very specific. This is for someone, and maybe you've been in church your entire life, that's okay. But if you have never reached out to grab the hand of the Father, come on, Holy Spirit, you know, bring our minds there, bring our minds there, Holy Spirit. If you've never reached out, the hand is there right now. Pretty simple. I'm going to count down from three. If that's you, I want you to reach out. Very specific. If you've never grabbed that hand before, if you've never been saved, if you're like, Harrison, what, what, what is the language of saved? If you've never been saved, if you've never surrendered, come on, I'm going to count to three. Just show me your hand. In three, two, one, just show me your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, Father. <clears throat> you see every single hand. You know every single heart. God, for those that are clinging on to something, give them the power to let go. For those that don't feel like they're good enough, Lord, may they just find who they are in you. And God, for those reaching out today for the very first time, we say welcome home. We say welcome to the family. There's no more striving, no more earning. You're accepted. You're whole. You're saved. Jesus, we just thank you that you are so good. Speak to our hearts continually this week, God. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, can we put our hands together for every decision made this morning? Come on. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed. If you want to know more information about Kingdom Church, go to kingdomchurch.ca. And if you made a decision to follow Jesus, then we would love to get connected with you. See you next time.